Thank you for tuning in to today's audio message. Here at Temple Baptist Church, we are a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, 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 good morning, everyone. So good to see you. I am really, really excited this morning about opening up God's Word with you because, you know, you realize that this is active. It's it's living. It changes lives. It changes hearts. And, and I just hope I never get tired of wanting the energy to be able to open up uh, God's Word with you this morning. I have been awake since 2.15. I'm jacked up, and I'm not even a coffee drinker. <laughs> Uh, if I haven't had the chance to uh, meet you yet, my name is Donald, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a big deal uh, that you're here to share with part of your weekend uh, with us. We love to have, from, you know, from children to teens, to moms and dads, to singles uh, to seniors, so thankful for what God is doing around here. I meet people, I mean, I talk to people almost every day uh, that are part of our church family, and they are excited. You know what they're excited about? They're excited about reaching a new generation. Uh, of believers. They're excited that we're not just going to be staying with status quo. They're excited to see God do some great things in our city here in Sarnia. And um, one of the things that I've always said about this church is um, this church has more dreams than it has memories. If a church has more memories than dreams, we're going to be in trouble. But there's still a lot of people here that have great dreams about the, about the future. And though we're thankful for our past, we don't live in our past. We're st- still streaming, dreaming about what God can do in our cities. I didn't even know if you know this or not. But every Monday, there's actually a group of people that come here at noon hour just to pray specifically for our city that God would do some great things. And they pray believing that God has some great things for the city of Sarnia. Uh, If you were here last week, thank you for coming back. It's always nice to have you back. And um, certainly if if this is your first time, as Pastor Kevin said earlier, if this is your first time with us, I always like to let, uh, we want to welcome you, but I always like to let new people know, whether you're watching online or among us, what we're all about as a church. Because people ask all the time, well, so what's, what's all about, what's Temple all about? I like to be right up front with you. We are laser focused, or at least we're attempting to be laser focused, that we are a church on a mission, and that is to connect people to Jesus and to one another. Like, we really do believe that it is a game changer when you're in a relationship with Jesus. And we honestly believe that life is better when you do it together. So that's what we're all about here at our church. Listen, a few weeks ago, we began this brand new series, and we've entitled it Every Day. And we're talking um, about everyday life and, and how our faith ought to affect, in fact, uh, the way we live our everyday lives. We're walking through this small book of the Bible called the Book of James, written by the half-brother of Jesus, who, as we know, as we've been learning, it was a doubter for most of his life. He did not believe anything that Jesus said while he walked here on earth. And yet something drastically changed in his life. You know what the change was? He had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And everything changed for him. Well, how do you know things changed for him, Donald? Well, one of the things that we know is you don't die for something you don't believe in. And when James had an encounter with with Jesus after the resurrection, he became quite influential actually in the church. In fact, he was the pastor of that large church in Jerusalem. But it came to a point one day where religious leaders grabbed him and they gave him a choice. You live or you die based on whether you will recant 
that Jesus is the Son of God, and he would not recant. And so therefore, he was killed. That's James, the author of this book. And as I've said before, James is such a, it's such a practical book because James is not so much worried about how you lip your faith. He's all about how you live your faith. It's not about if you talk about your faith. He wants to know how you are walking in your faith. It's not about just declaration. It's all about your uh, dedication. It's not just about conversations about your faith. It's all about your demonstration. And so James actually gets right down to the nitty gritty. He doesn't use big fancy words. He uses words that you and I would use in everyday conversation conversation. He's not talking about heavy theology. He's just talking about things that you and I can understand in our everyday life. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open them to the book of James? And if the Bible's still a little hard for you to navigate, James is toward the last part of your Bible. It's toward the last part of the New Testament. The last book, of course, is Revelation. And then you just go back a few pages to the left, and you'll run into the book of James, actually. Five chapters, 108 verses, and it packs a punch uh, when you read this. This is actually the first book of the Bible that I ever memorized as a teenager. That uh, where I grew up in our youth group, we were challenged to memorize scripture. And so a group of us memorized this book from very beginning to end. We stood in front of the whole church and we just let it flow out of our lips. And, and it's always stuck with me. I, as a teenager, you know, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. Greetings, my brother. Anyway, I won't go into all that for you this morning. I'll spare you. But James chapter 1, we're going to actually read just a, um, about 18 verses here this morning. And um, so if you will follow along uh, as we read them. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Consider it, this is crazy, I know, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, and blossoms fall, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, when tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is by his own evil desires, when he is dragged away and enticed, and then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift from, comes from above, from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he has created. 
It has been said throughout history, if we are saved by faith, what does it matter how we live our lives? For hundreds of years, that question has been asked. Hey, we're saved by faith, we're saved by grace, so who really cares uh, how we live our lives? But faith with works shows progress in a believer's life. Remember, I've said it has nothing to do with perfection. It has something to do with progress. And, and of course, we mentioned this last week, James' original audience were, were to Christians who were on the run for their lives. I mean, they were being persecuted, and, and James is writing them, persecution is at an all-time high. This is a tumultuous time for believers. It is a very confusing time uh, for believers. It's a very chaotic time, because here's a group of believers who have committed their lives to, to Christ, and it seems as though all hell has broken loose on top of them. And they're running uh, for their lives to the point where they begin to ask questions, where is God? I, I thought if I followed God, he, he would be around, but it seems as though maybe he has abandoned me. And it's because of those reasons that, that James writes this book, and he's going to identify some of those issues that those believers dealt with and believers today deal with. An interesting side note is that the book of James is actually a very controversial book. There were some people that believed believe that this book shouldn't even be part of the Bible. Martin Luther, who was one of the great reformers during the Protestant Reformation, really struggled uh, with this book of James. Uh, Martin Luther was so committed uh, to making sure people understood that salvation was grace alone, that it was faith alone, and anything that talks about works seemed to confuse, be confusing and nullify uh, salvation. Now, later in his life, Martin Luther began to understand and accept the book of James as the inspired uh, word of God. But see, James spent so much time on our demonstration, on our walking and our commitment, that Martin Luther thought that James was talking that you had to have your works with your faith for salvation. However, James is not denying that salvation is by grace or salvation is by faith alone. He's just saying if you're a follower of Jesus and not just a fan of Jesus, you'll demonstrate it. Faith needs works to remain vibrant. If your faith is not married to works, it shrinks and it shrivels. But it was because of verse... Uh, Verse 14 of chapter 2, when James says, What good is it, my brother, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? That was the, when, when, when Martin Luther read that, he just wanted to rip the, uh, the book of James right out of the Bible because he thought James was talking more about works. And, and Martin Luther was all about what Paul was writing in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Why? So no one will boast. Uh, um, Martin Luther clearly understood and rightfully understood that the righteousness of God was clearly by faith apart from works. And that when you actually add works, you do nullify the grace of salvation. And then Martin Luther read uh, 2.17, in the same way faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And for Martin Luther, it seemed like there's a contradiction here of what Paul is saying and what James is saying. But there is no contradiction. 
In fact, I, I like how uh, Dr. Uh, Tony Evans describes it to you. Let me just read it to you. He says, Paul is talking about how sinners become saints, and James is talking about how saints become sanctified. Uh, Paul is talking about how we get from earth to heaven. James is talking about how we can bring heaven to earth. Uh, Paul is telling us how we can spend eternity, and James is saying how we can spend your time while you're waiting for eternity. There's no contradiction between the two groups, but a vertical relationship must have a horizontal expression, is what we're saying. And that's what James is trying to uh, tell us here. And James is hitting hard how you live your life as a believer in Jesus. That's why I have said, when you read this book, sometimes it stings. Sometimes we feel like there should be these red bull letters, warning. When you read this book, it may be a little stressful because it's gonna to touch on every area of your life. It gets very close to home and it can make us feel very uncomfortable, but we know Jesus didn't come to give us comfortable lives, did he? He came to change our lives and to make us more like him. Well, we looked at last week that, uh, about how uh, you can be on top of your trials versus your trials being on top of you. I mean, we all face them, right? Nobody's exempt. No matter how hard you work to, to free yourself from trials, you will have them. I mean, the rich, the poor, the wise, the fool, the celebrity, the loner, the healthy, the sick, the employed, the unemployed, we all have them. Some people refer to them as a school of hard knocks. So what do you do, though, when they come your way? And we talked about that last week because James made a crazy statement that you can actually consider it joy. Not that there's joy in the pain. Not that there's joy in the pain of the, uh, from the thorn. But you can actually have joy because you know God is at work. And that God is about to reveal himself. I, I liken it to a, a woman who is in labor. A woman doesn't find joy in the pain of contractions. But there is joy when the child is born. And so the results are worth the pain. Now, it would be great. Wouldn't it be great if we could get all this character stuff and spiritual maturity by just ordering it on the Internet? Or maybe taking a pill or get a little self-help book from, from chapters? I mean, physical maturity uh, happens naturally. Our bodies just mature but when it comes to spiritual maturity, you have to be intentional in, for, in order for us to grow. You've got to understand the role of trials. And, and by the way, trials are not all good, are they? Right? Some are bad. Sometimes um, they stink and, and they're ugly. But we need to remember, I need to be reminded that everything, every trial that comes my way has been filtered through God's hands. He allows those things because he is maturing us. He's growing us up. And God is at work through those things. Probably the best verse that explains it all is Romans 8.28, 8.28, right? Uh, that verse that says, uh, and we know that all things, not some things, not most things, not the majority of things, but all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things, even the ugly things. You know, the pressure is on, and we begin to start asking God, what is the deal with this? You know, we, we get thrown into the hot water, but we need to be reminded that God is actually controlling the temperature. And so James says, perseverance must finish its work. 
See, God is not satisfied that we just remain spiritual toddlers walking around for the rest of our lives. God's not satisfied with that. I mean, he's happy when we're born again. He's happy when we're babes in Christ, but he does not want to leave us there. And he's developing us. He's trying to grow us up. And so perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Not, like, lacking nothing. Who in their right mind doesn't want to be in that position? Lacking nothing. Like, God is at work, and he wants to grow us in our faith. And part of maturity is being exposed to some, some danger. God doesn't treat us like some overprotective parent. He's going to expose us to some elements. Why, you say? Because he wants to grow us up. And that's a good thing. That's a wonderful, that's a biblical thing. It's a spiritual thing. You know, I took classes for a lot of years in karate and gymnastics, and then I taught it uh, for 10 years. Uh, and for me to be better in those sports, let me tell you, I had a lot of tired muscles, bruises and bumps and even some broken bones. I remember at different times, I would be doing some kind of a flip up in the air and I would lose my position. And instead of landing on my feet, I would just land on my back. But each experience made me better the next time I did it. And that is the same is true when it comes to our life and faith. Now, to the secular mind, this means complete nonsense. Secular people are saying, wait a minute, what are you saying about trials? You're saying it's okay to have trials? Yeah, because you know God's going to use it. And yet, for a lot of people, it makes no sense. That's why so many people uh, without Christ, who, who don't know Christ, when a trial comes their way, it freaks them out or it just kind of completely messes them up because there's no sense in the nonsense uh, when they look in their rearview mirror. But for the Christian, yeah, we know it's going to be tough. We know at times it gets rough. We know at times it's hard. But God is going to use it. Yes, we know he's going to give us a workout at times. But on the other end, we are going to be better prepared for the match. Look at what James continues to say. We looked at it briefly last week. It says, if you lack wisdom for the trial that you are facing, what are you to do? If you're facing a trial and you don't know what to do, you're like, God, I don't get this. James says, listen, ask God. Ask. He just says, Ask, like ask God. And what is amazing, it says, and he will give it to you. And he doesn't give it to you sparingly. He's not begrudging when you ask. He doesn't say, you were here last night and you're back this morning? Really? No, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And I believe when you persevere, you are a blessed man and woman. You have the favor of God on you. And though it is not always easy, and though it can be tough at times, very tough, but spiritual maturity cannot be ordered in the mail. It's learned through the trials of life. And I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what trial you're facing today. Maybe it's a pending divorce. Maybe it's illness, sickness, uh, maybe it's surgery, a, a rebellious child, 
the loss of your job, the foreclosure of your home, uh, infertility, a broken heart, a severe, a severed relationship, a death of a loved one, the non-acceptance of a college that you were hoping to get into, a struggling marriage, uh, no meaningful relationship, a, a lack of satisfaction with your career, the slander of your name, the rejection of a parent, the addiction maybe to alcohol or, or pornography or drugs, or the inability to get a mortgage. I don't know what you're facing today. But I want to encourage you that God is very much aware of what you are dealing with and I made a promise to you that he will not give you anything that he cannot handle. That's the promise of God. Notice I didn't say he won't give you more than what you can handle. He won't give you more than what he can handle. And he is as near as the mention of his name. Ask him today for the help. Let me tell you something else about trials. When you go through trials, you can actually help someone else. I love that part. It affords you the opportunity to walk along somebody else who's now going through it. I, I really didn't completely understand grief. I didn't until my father died when I was young. I was like, when that happened, I finally got a glimpse of what grief was like. And so even this week, actually, just wow, two days ago, I was on a, I was on a phone call with somebody who lost their dad for about a half an hour, unexpected. And he's like, man, you can really understand what I'm going through. I said, yeah, I can. I, I, I understand exactly what you're dealing with. I, I remember when I was a youth pastor, we had a karate for Christ team and a gymnastics for Christ. And, and so we were in the inner city. And here's a suburban, you know, church. And we're going to the inner city of Baltimore. And, um, you know, sometimes people look at us like as privileged, as a privileged group. And, and I can remember three particular guys, kind of rough from the inner city. And they just kind of sat there like, what do you have to say that really connects with me? You, you have no idea what my life is like. And we had this girl, a very attractive girl, a beautiful smile. You think she had the world in her hands. And I can remember, I remember the moment she got up to, to stand up to share her testimony in the inner city. She says, uh, my mom and I just got out of a, sh a woman's shelter because my dad was beating us. And immediately these, these boys were like, what? Like they understood exactly what she was talking about. And so I, I really think that God is able to help you when you go through the trials to walk along somebody else who is dealing with the same issue. You know, a couple who's lost a child to be able to walk with another couple who's just lost a child or a grandparent. Let me tell you, God's grace is amazing. It is amazing. As things occur in my life and in your life, it gives us the chance to be able to identify with others that are going through similar situation. So we're not just a voice talking about something we have no idea about, but we actually can relate. And that's why, you know, you know, cancer survivors are able to walk with those who are in the middle of cancer treatments. They've been there. <laughs> they know what that person is dealing with. That's why people who have gone through a, a devastating divorce can walk with somebody who's in the process of it. They, they get it. 
Uh, they, they understand. That's the body of Christ. And that's how using your trials in a great way when you've persevered. And if we'll consider our trials as God's way of developing us, uh, God can use that. And we can bring God into the conversation as well. And it's all part of developing us spiritually. So we don't stay as babies and have toddler talk. But we grow. There'll be no doubt how to distinguish between a, a genuine follower of Jesus and an imposter. Uh, last week I said that um, James tells us to get ready, prepare to fight. I said, you're going to have to fight doubt. That's what James says. I don't care. The, the finest of Christians in their life have, have moments of doubt. And James says, you're going to have to fight that. Remember, we looked at that story last week, Mark chapter 9. The man who came to Jesus and he says, I, I want to believe, but Jesus help me in my unbelief. I want to believe, but I, I, I doubt. I sometimes believe, but sometimes I doubt. And we're going to have to fight doubt at times. Like, God, are you here? I mean, I, I thought you would help me. I, I, I thought you loved me. Where are you? And then another area, which we didn't get to last week, is the fight of comparison. Like, as Christians, we fight doubt, but we are going to be tempted to compare as well. And that's found in 9 through 12, we just read a few minutes ago. A study was done a couple of years ago, not by a Christian group, by the way, a secular organization. So these aren't Christians all getting together. There's a secular organization that got together and did a study, believe it, on Instagram. And after the study was done, this was the headline on the report. Instagram leads to depression. Hmm. Did you hear that? Like Instagram leads to depression. Here's the reason why. Picture this. You've been in your pajamas all day long. You can't pull yourself together. You've just eaten a gallon of ice cream. <laughs> and you go to bed at night and you crawl into your bed. And you just, and you pull out your phone and you start flipping through it. And what do you see? Perfect marriage. The perfect children. The perfect house. Perfectly clean. No toys at all. You don't see any pain. You see no struggles. All you see is you in your PJs. <laughs> and you begin to say, really, Lord? Like, really? Like, I have to endure this? And those people over there living without a care in the world. And the truth is we get exposed. And comparison begins to play itself out. When we endure trials, I heard someone say this, it's so true. When we endure trials, we become obsessed with the prettiness of other people's lives. We become obsessed with it. Look, look at their lives. Look at mine. And then we begin to resent them. 
Maybe you're here this morning and infertility is a struggle for you. But it seems like every time you open Facebook, somebody is doing a gender reveal. Somebody's posting pictures, right, of their one-year birthday party. And you start to compare. Why them? Like, why them and not me? In fact, they don't even believe in you, God. And you give them a child. Don't me. Honestly, I have found myself to be in similar situations. You know, we read the story in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, and we, we talk about that older brother. You know what? I hate to say it. But there are times, that's me, the older brother, right? Remember, Lord, I'm the one who's committed my life to ministry. I gave up, you know, seeking worldly pleasures, Lord, and yet this guy who demeans his wife is arrogant, a troublemaker, addicted to pornography. His, seem, his life seems to be rolling along just fine. And every now and then God has to say to me, Mr. Calder, you may be elevating yourself a little too much. Mr. Calder, I can see deep into your life as well. And everything is not as picture perfect like you like people to think. You know, sometimes if you don't know pastors well, it's easy to think, oh, we have these spiritual capes on us and we just fly. <laughs> but there are plenty of days that God has to give me a good reminder, kind of a punch to remind you. Because it's easy to become the older brother and just go, doesn't seem right. Why do they get the party and I don't? I'm sticking here, I'm working away, and I don't get it fighting the fight of comparison see james says it's all actually level ground of the cross it's level playing field so don't believe the facebook hype the instagram hype the twitter hype everyone endures trials and there are seasons that some days the skies are blue and there'll be some seasons where the clouds are dark and the storm is brewing in verse 13 um, down to 15. It talks about temptation. See, trials are designed to bring the best out of us, to bring the best out in us. Temptations are designed to bring the worst out in us. And each one has its own designer. God is the author of trials, and Satan the author of temptations. However, when you fall to temptation, James makes it very clear, you can't blame the devil. You can't say, well, the devil made me do it. It's true that he dangles temptations in front of us and he knows what kind of bait to use and he knows the kind of hook to lure us, but ultimately we are responsible for our own action. That is why it's so important to live with our eyes wide open. James says, when you sin, it's because you wanted to do it. Nobody made you do it. <sighs> Always looking ahead, preparing. That's why James says, you've got to be prepared to fight against doubt and comparison and, and, and temptation. 
looking out and when I think about temptation I I was kind of thinking about when I got my motorcycles license and I took that course and one of the things that just drill in your head you know just be a defensive driver always looking always scanning for danger that may be coming your way and I think of that when it comes to temptation like look ahead be scanning be defensive what might be coming your way I, um, I think of what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says, put on the full armor of God. Like when you go out, he says there's going to be fiery darts of the enemy focused right at you, so go prepared with a full armor of God to fight the battle that we find ourselves in today. James is saying that trials are God's way of personally developing us. And trials will make us consciously aware of our need for God. And the reality is God is all we really need. That's not just a, a fancy slogan. It's true. And so James says, be careful because you're going to need to fight with doubt. Keep swinging because you're going to have to fight with doubt. So Lord, help me in my disbelief. And if you're not careful, Comparison will tag team with doubt. And if you're not careful, it will be, you will be tempted by your own desires to betray God's invitation to maturity. That, and it will only lead to sin and death. So hang in there. God's got you. And then in verse 16, James turns our eyes to the nature and character of God. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Don't be fooled just because you're in the middle of a trial that God has left you on your own. Now you're going to be tempted. You are going to be tempted to think that God is not good. You're going to wrestle, James says, with comparison. But don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. Every perfect gift comes from the God. Father above in your life. And that's what it says there in verse 17. And the greater your knowledge of the grace of God on your life, the more likely you'll praise him in the middle of the storm. Look at verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. You know, sometimes we're, sometimes we're tempted to think because there's a trial or a hardship, we look at, oh, that's God's judgment on me. I, I didn't do this, so therefore now God's kind of paying me back. I want to say you need to reconsider that, my friend. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you have this mindset that God is judging you because of what you've done, actually, I don't think you know God. Because all of God's judgment, all of his disgust that could have been poured on us, you know where it was poured on? It was poured on his son. Actually, on the cross. That's where God's judgment gets poured. Remember what Paul said, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because it was all handled at the cross. So in our wrestling with doubt and comparison and temptation, I love this verse because it says God chose you. 
he chose you. Like he chose you. <laughs> the whole idea of God rescuing people was his idea. And he chose you. He saw you and said, I want you to be part of the family. <laughs> hey, I, I want you, bro. I want you, girl, to be part of the family. You know what? He, he, he's not like shifting shadows. He never has a conversation. God never goes to his son, Jesus, and has a conversation with the Holy Spirit and says, you know what? How do we let that guy join the team? Never. Can we get a rain check on that guy? Don't like that. That's not the conversations that ever happen. I don't know about you, but I love when it says he chose to give us birth. You know why? Because he loves you. He loves you. The God of heaven loves you. He loves you. He really, really loves you. In fact, he loves you so much. That's why he allows even trials into your life so you don't simply remain the way you once were. He's molding us and shaping us to be more like him. Anyone here this morning struggling? Anyone here this morning perplexed as to what God is doing? Anyone here doubting that God cares for you? Are you tempted this morning just to sin and, and to walk away? It says right there, God chose you. God chose you because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you even when you're struggling with doubt. He loves you even when you, you tend to compare. He loves you even when you give in to temptation. He loves you. He loves you. And he loves you enough not to leave you like he found you. And he is developing you. And we are a work in progress. And one day we will be his masterpiece. Let's pray.